It's time for Vax Talk. Let's talk VPDs. We're shaping the conversation about vaccines. To learn more, visit VaxTalk.org. Hello and welcome to Vax Talk. This is a podcast for people who are happily contributing to herd immunity. Good job, everybody. Woohoo! My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstrom. I'm a general pediatrician here at Blank Trums Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. So here's the thing about this episode. This mm. episode is going to feature Ethan Posard, yes, who indeed. is a young person. He's 17 years old. He's amazing. We're going to talk about kids. We're going to talk to kids. So while our podcast has an explicit rating, because sometimes we talk about adult topics, even though this says E next to it, this one is perfectly acceptable for kids to listen to. In fact, we recommend it. It would be yes. a great one to listen to with your kids who yes. might be getting shots in the near future because he talks about what that's like um, and talks about why it's important. And it is important. Yeah. So please share this with your young people. If you are in particular a health or biology teacher, this would be a fun episode for them to listen to, especially the last 20 minutes. So uh, please do that. But in the meantime, before we talk to Ethan, I just want to talk a little bit about adolescent vaccines. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart because my children are sort of in that lane right now. We are doing the adolescent vaccines. I will happily tell everyone that I have one 10-year-old and one 15-year-old and a 24-year-old who's, you know, he can get his own vaccines now. But the... um. 15 year old has had his meningococcal vaccine he's had his hpv vaccine and he has had his tdap he had them at age 12 um, because that's when our clinic does those vaccines and he wasn't super duper happy about them but he also he also had a classmate who had suffered through um non-hodgkin's lymphoma and so he knew how dangerous cancer was and when i told him you know you're going to get a vaccine that can help prevent certain types of cancer he was he was okay with that uh so that's kind of the topic that of this podcast today is talking to kids about vaccines and letting kids talk about vaccines so i have a question for you nathan oh okay okay I'm going to call you Dr. Boonstra. Put on your Dr. Boonstra stethoscope and um, Okay. Well, this is uh, a Wii remote, and I'm going to hang it around my neck, and that's going to have to do. Go ahead. All right. You're Dr. Boonstra Wii remote. So we, when adolescents come into the exam room with mm -hmm. their parents, and you're talking about vaccines, yeah. what do you say to those kids before they get their shots? Yeah, so I think the first thing to bring up is that I talk to the adolescents themselves and actually it's kind of my MO to talk to all kids about their shots particularly from age three and four up so that's true about the kids that are getting their pre-kindergarten shots I'm not I make an effort to not be talking to the f to the parents about the shots and then have the kid you know be talked about um, while they're right there in the middle of us uh, I want to talk to the the kid and in this case talk to the adolescent about their shots and then have the parent be in the middle so that they can join in the conversation um, and 
then everybody's, I think, the best included. Um, so when I talk with an adolescent about the shots that they're going to get, I frame it kind of similarly to what you mentioned. Um, I talk about the three shots that they're generally going to get, which is going to be their Tdap, it's going to be their HPV vaccine, and it's going to be their Menactra, or sorry, I should just say meningococcal uh, um, vaccine. And I talk briefly but in in at least somewhat descriptive fashion as to what each of those do uh, and so then I try to frame it in terms of something that they're going to understand so I say okay your first shot is this Tdap it, it protects you against tetanus diphtheria and pertussis now tetanus you might have heard of you step on a dirty nail it can cause lockjaw you've probably heard of this it can be really awful it can be fatal um, so that's the first component of the first vaccine. It also protects against this stuff called diphtheria. That's this old school thing. You've probably never heard of it. We don't want it to come roaring back like it's the 19th century. So we keep immunizing against that. And then whooping cough or pertussis, that's called the 100 days cough. You're a busy guy. You're in XYZ activities. You don't need 100 days worth of cough that's going to knock you out of that. And you certainly don't need to pass that on to a young baby who could get seriously ill from that. So that's your first shot. Your second shot is for this uh, vaccine called human papillomavirus. This virus called human papillomavirus that causes certain kinds of cancer. In guys, it causes cancer in the head and neck. In 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 females, it causes cervical cancer. In both, it can cause uh, other kinds of cancer, and it can cause warts in the private areas as well. Nobody wants that, and we certainly want to protect you against these kinds of cancers as best we can as you get older. Uh, so we want to immunize. So I recommend getting immunized with that today. And then your third one is for this brain infection and inflammation called meningitis. You have a particularly wo uh, wonderful brain as you've exhibited today. I want to protect that brain, so you should be immunized against this. Do you or your parent uh, have any questions about those shots today and that's kind of the approach that I take and then I allow that discussion to flow from there so that the parent can ask if they want to start asking about HPV in the in the context of it you know being uh, a sexually transmitted disease and what does that mean and why do we immunize now we can get those questions answered the adolescent can ask questions that they're comfortable with I'm not pushing anyone to have conversations that they're not necessarily comfortable with in surrounding the vaccine. We always try to have conversations about things like sex uh, and more difficult topics, but I don't think that the vaccine needs to be the jumping off point for that. I mean, we talk all the time about the questions parents have about vaccines. We're very parent-focused a lot of the time, but I'm imagining that adolescents have questions as well, uh, especially, you know, when you've got kids coming back in at age 16 and they need their, their booster and their meningitis mm -hmm. B vaccines. What kind of questions do you get from kids? In my experience, the number one questions, the number one and two questions that I get are, how bad is it going to hurt and where are you going to put it? I don't get teens really nervous about whether the vaccine is safe or not. Uh, I think that they generally are perfectly fine with the fact that this vaccine is a good idea um, and that it's a safe thing to do. What their risk reward balance is going on in their head is, I've never, I'm, I'm healthy. I don't think I need a shot. Uh, yeah, maybe it 
prevent something way down the line that I don't know that I'm going to get versus it's going to hurt right now. And so to reassure them about that, I think is important. If you've got a young, you know, I do this with both four-year-olds and every age between four and the teens. When I give that spiel that I, I gave, I also say something to the effect of, yeah, it's going to hurt. You know, if it, we're talking about teen vaccines, it'll be like, it's going to make your arm sore for the day. That's true. You're going to do great. You're not going to, you're, you're very strong and capable and you're going to do a great job. And I use similar language for a four-year-old too, maybe a little bit more simplified, um, to just give them that, uh, understanding that 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 self-motivation to know that they can handle this before they get the shot that makes a lot of sense and i'm wondering too one of the uh one of the worries that people sometimes have about the hpv vaccine or about any vaccines in adolescence is and i should stop calling them adolescents adolescents don't like being called adolescents so i'll, I'll call yeah. them young people <laughs> one of the worries that that people sometimes have is that they might faint so what sort of precautions mm -hmm. can kids take if they're worried that they might faint because of a shot they can just hang out in the office i mean if there's going to be anything that causes pain it really anywhere but particularly a needle can potentially cause a teenager to swoon and that is just a vasovagal response that they can have to something that uh, sets them off either, be either because of the pain or because of the fear or because of both and so yes you can have some uh, you can have somebody faint uh, I've seen it once in an adolescent um, and you know we had they were still in the office and they were just kind of laying there and then they kind of went whoo <laughs> and then uh they were fine so i usually just counseled everybody in their teens about that particular possibility and ask if they want to wait and hang out in my office for a while or if they're feeling okay make sure that they're just well supervised and that they're gonna you know not be anywhere where they could hurt themselves if they started to feel faint and that seems to be uh sufficient i i think the important thing for kids to know too is that you know shots hurt they the pain is pretty short lasting um sometimes that tdap can make your arm sore uh but you know that you're going to go on with your life and it's going to be just fine and the hpv is generally considered to be the more painful of mm -hmm. the shots um which oh, if I, I know yeah if i recall <laughs> from dr offit saying it's because of a higher concentration of sodium in the shot compared to others it's basically salt in the wound um so it can be a little more painful a little longer lasting in terms of soreness um and so I think that's why it has a little bit more of a higher uh, fainting rate than other vaccines. But still, I've given, you know, how many hundreds of vaccines and I've seen one kid get a little woozy afterwards. Um, so it's not super common. Right. And that's not really anything to worry about. And I'll say as far as getting woozy, I was uh, watching my son get uh, dental work done one time and that made me woozy so there's all sorts of things that can make you woozy you don't have to be a kid to get woozy you can be a grown-up and still get woozy just because you're watching someone else in pain so you know that's 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 a thing that happens it's it's okay and it sounds like it doesn't happen a lot so that's very that's a that's a huge relief and you know i think one of the important things that ethan's going to tell us is 
how great it is as a young person to know that you're really making a difference in the world that you're that you're making the world healthier because you're getting your shots and that is mm-hmm. something that i think every kid can take pride in you know that kids don't get a lot of choice about their health care but you know they still have to sit there and they still have to get the shots and it's it's a big deal and it's a good thing and it's a good thing not just for your body but for the the other people around you um, and so Ethan talked a little bit about herd immunity, and I'm wondering if you can just give us, you know, the elevator speech. What what exactly is herd immunity? Sure. So the idea of herd immunity uh, kind of derives from the idea of a herd of buffalo or herd of other animals. And although that is not always the most palatable way to think about people, um, uh, it it has some it, it illustrates certain points about getting immunized, which is to say that in a herd of buffalo, and I am no expert, I'm no, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever it is the professional buffalo watcher is, I am not that. Uh, <clears throat> but my understanding is Even that though it, you're from Iowa, right? Uh, even the it, my understanding is that the herd you know kind of allows the uh stronger uh healthier buffalo to be out in the outside kind of protecting the weaker or sicker or less capable uh less healthy buffalo and those buffalo are kind of interspersed amongst these healthier buffalo and the idea being that the entire herd is stronger if th- it's done that way as opposed to just keeping the uh, weaker ones in one part or whatnot where they might get attacked they're being protected by the the healthier ones who can take it who can take the everyday kind of threats that's the case here when we talk about um, herd immunity when we talk about vaccines and disease a lot of people also call it community immunity Mm -hmm. but that doesn't quite illustrate that same idea in my opinion but the idea being that there are quite a number of people in our communities who are immunocompromised or medically fragile and these are often the people who not only do vaccines not necessarily work well in or maybe not work at all if they're immunocompromised but then also more likely to have the complications of the disease. So if you don't have much of an immune system because of a medicine that you take or because you've had chemotherapy or because of a disease that you have, not only does that vaccine not work, but if you catch the wild virus, you are more likely to die. And so if people, if everybody who can be immunized is immunized and we are well spread out all those people who are vulnerable are spread out amongst us that basically makes it so that there's a level if the right number of people are immunized that it just makes it exponentially more difficult for a virus that comes across the sea to us to find enough people to infect to stay in circulation it burns itself out very quickly if we have achieved levels of, of immunization that kind of beat that herd immunity threshold. Whereas if we're below it, 
then there's a much higher chance that that virus can find person to person and stay around in the community and maybe just continue to circulate and find those vulnerable individuals and then they're in big trouble. So by everybody being immunized, not only do we as healthy people uh, benefit, but we also do our less healthy neighbors a favor. And that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, hey, I think we should listen to our Ethan uh, interview now. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. Let's put right. it on. Roll tape. All right. When we come back, we'll talk to Ethan Pissard. And we are privileged to be joined by Ethan Pissard today, who is really inspirational person first of all he is something that very few people are he is a published author of a children's book he also is uh, the only person we've no that's not true we've interviewed one other person but he's one of the one of two people we've ever interviewed on this podcast who has an imdb uh entry did you know that ethan uh, yeah, I'm glad to make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so he's sort of a superstar. The other really cool thing about Ethan is that he is only 17 years old, which is amazing in and of itself, and we are so happy to have you. So welcome, Ethan. Yeah, thank you for that warm intro. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so I just want to start at the beginning with you. All right. So we came to know you because you are the only person I have ever seen getting a vaccine on camera um, <laughs> yeah. in film. So tell us a little bit about that, how that happened. So my oldest sister, Camille, was a writer for this documentary called Invisible Threat. Uh, this documentary basically goes over the science of vaccines and any uh, outbreaks that happened during the time of the filming. So uh, she took that as an opportunity while I needed to get a shot to record it. So I remember actually going onto the uh, the drive there and asking my mom why I needed the shot. And <laughs> I got the answer most kids get, which is you just need it so you don't get sick. Mm-hmm. Which looking back on it, I guess that is true, but there's just so much more to getting a vaccine. And I really wanted to display that image with the book. Now, you had an experience, uh, kind of the backstory of that involved uh, a dog of yours, correct? Yeah, Roxy. Can you tell that story? Yeah, so I got Roxy when she was about three weeks old, um, and she wasn't in great shape. Uh, We knew something was wrong, so we took her to the vet the next day. Uh, We weren't sure with the test. They didn't come back in time, but they thought she might have this disease called parvo which is a vaccine preventable disease but since there's some dogs in our community that didn't have that vaccine we had to actually keep roxy indoors where she couldn't go on walks outside couldn't go to the beach and so it's from there that i learned about concepts like herd immunity and the importance of getting a vaccine for more than just yourself and i think i try to say that image in the uh, book Yes, you do a really nice job of that in the book, too. Before I ask you about the book, though, I just want to ask you, do you think that because animals are so vulnerable that it's easier for a kid to connect the dots on all of those really hard concepts when they're dealing with their pet? Oh, definitely. I think the pet in the household is just a great example to be uh, put in. It's just such an innocent creature that we all love. And if anything bad happens to it, I think we pay a little more attention. So your involvement in this documentary, which I'm sure we'll talk about at the end and how people can access that, um, your involvement was pretty much then at that point 
as a person who is brought along to like be the uh, <laughs> like uh, to demonstrate immunization on. The, did you have more the pin in- cushion? Yes, exactly right. Did you have? Was that kind of? Was that how your involvement was, or did you have more in the process of of creating that film? Uh, yeah. So with just that film, I was basically just the guinea pig for getting the shot. I was actually told like a day before, and I'm not a really big fan of shots, so getting it recorded was a little uh, little challenge to get through, but mm-hmm. I'm glad I didn't say ow. <laughs> <laughs> and then that clearly did not stop your interest in this topic. So wh- how did things unfold after that? I definitely got more into it with my uh, talking to my sister and my mom and just learning about the whole community. And from there, I kind of saw an opportunity to send a message that I had. And, and that sort of led you to wanting to reach kids. And so you decided to write a children's book, you know, but let me back up because I say you decided like it was just like, hey, I'm going to write a children's <laughs> book. But I'm, I'm assuming it's more complex than that. How did you make that that choice? So actually, in sixth grade, we had this assignment where we had to pick this significant figure and make a story about him. And then that story was then turned into a children's book. So I think I just had that fresh in my mind of a children's book is such a great way to convey a message, especially to if your target audience is kids. And even though in that sixth grade assignment, I chose Garfield of all people, I think <laughs> that assignment as a whole has just been so influential in this process. And your, the name of your book is The Shots Book, right? Yeah, that's yeah, not the, the full title. Book. The Shots Book... Uh, uh, little Brothers Superhero Tip. Because you make the point in the book that by getting a, a vaccine, kids become superheroes. So can you can you say a little bit more about that, about how, you know, you, why, you, why you wanted to frame it as a tale of a superhero and how you think that reaches kids? Yeah, definitely. So I think most kids not only love superheroes, but don't understand that the powers a vaccine gives them. Because not only does it make them not get them sick, it also protects the people in their community. Either if they have uh, immunal disease where they can't get the vaccine, if it's that small percentage where the vaccine isn't efficient, or any of those exceptions. I think showing them that you can get a superpower where you protect your community by getting this shot is just such a message that's going to stick with them. So once you had published the book... uh what what happened after that? Were you uh, encouraged by the support you had? Or I know your sister and her classmates had a lot of pushback on their film. Yeah. Did did you get any pushback, or was it mostly supportive? Uh, surprisingly, no. Uh, I had a lot of helpful people, including you two, help me through this uh, process of getting the book out through peer editing and just getting the connections I needed. Um, I know Rady's Children's Hospital was very helpful in ordering books during the early stages of the um, publishing, especially with the University of Minnesota. Did you get then much in terms of feedback for the reception of the book? How was that? Um, Yeah, one of the biggest feedbacks was having it in more than one language. So we actually changed it from English and Spanish. And then what kind of distribution then did you find in terms of how did you get the book out to everybody, get people to order it? What uh, what was your strategy there? So my strategy was uh, just like using the internet for our advantage. We used Amazon as our primary distributor. We also have the theshotsbook.com where you can order a book for 30% discount. 
And have you ever had the pleasure of reading your book uh, in front of an audience of children? Uh, I have actually a few times. It was a uh, it was a very interesting skill to learn. Um, I'm kind of shy, so reading in front of a bunch of eyes just was like not something that happened immediately. Mm-hmm. But I remember going to the uh, Seminole Reservation, where I actually was there for five days and four nights, and I was able to speak to tremendous amount of kids in different days reading the book and their faces after reading it they had some very uh cute reactions to it oh it i i love reading to kids i think it's a a lot of fun uh, because they really they connect with books so well and i'm imagining that they connected really well with your story it's about a kid it's about superheroes it's got a dog in it i mean really what (laughs) more could you want um so what kind of feedback did you get from the kids uh the kids loved it from what i could see they there's actually this page in the book where it says and one way to keep yourself healthy is to eat drink a lot of water eat your vegetables and stay away from sugary drinks and after i did one reading i had a bunch of kids come up to me with plates of celery and carrots which (laughs) i just like thought was so cute that's great so since you've published the book, that was, a, that was a few years ago. How old were you when the book was published? I believe I was around 13 years old when it was published. 13. So you've got four years under your belt. How have you been involved in this vaccine advocacy world since then? So yeah, the book definitely allowed me to keep my uh, foot inside the door, which opened a tremendous amount of opportunity. Uh, With the American Academy of Pediatrics Florida chapter, I have been uh, the youth advisor. And so I just help with uh, PSAs, if they have any uh, logos for stickers they want to send out, I help with that. Just for the community service part, we also have a Twitter where we try to keep with the community and uh, try and help, usually with... um, I know back to school, we have new stickers out that are, it's flight, fight flu and immunized and school ready. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to get some of your stickers and you've been (laughs) so helpful in terms of, excuse me, helping, uh, you know, kind of reaching out to me and being like, okay, what can I do? What can we, you know, put together for your clinic and whatnot? So I wanted to thank you for that. I have had uh, kids love your book as well. I love your book. I think it's brilliantly conceived and written. Um, so good job. And thank I you so much. One of the things that I want to talk about and dig into a little bit is how much we're seeing right now of youth advocacy in the country and how powerful it can be. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that as somebody who kind of started to do very much youthful advocacy at age 13 or younger. How has that path been for you? How do you how does how does it feel to be a youth advocate for something like this? And how do you how how much how important do you find that voices like yours are in this conversation about immunizations? Yeah, I think uh, young advocates are something that's going to be coming upwards in the future. I hope to send the message that not only should you be getting your shots, but if you look at my story as a 13-year-old who got the book published and has just been immersed in community service after that, you don't have to wait till you're an adult to get involved or make a change. You can do it at the age of, what, six, five. Whenever you have a message you want to send out, it, you don't need to wait till you're 18 to send that message. If you had a magic wand and you could change the way 
vaccine advocacy works change the messages we give or change who's talking or change anything what things would you change you don't have to you know don't have to pick the top ones just what are some of the things you would change about how people talk about vaccines to kids and to their parents who are um, choosing whether or not to vaccinate them yeah so i think there should be if i had a magic wand i would definitely try and spend most of the focus on younger individuals because those are going to be the people in the future that become parents and have kids and i think especially with campaigns that we've seen in the past like uh, anti-smoking or anti-drunk driving it started with getting the message to the kids and those kids stop their parents from smoking or any bad activity so it's through kids that change is possible um also with uh, uh combating um combating false information online i think it's a very scary thing that a expecting parent can look up online should i get my kid immunized and they get a wave of misinformation that can make them have the wrong decision i'm wondering if you think that kids are more or less savvy to that sort of misinformation that's on the internet are they better able to look at something and say oh this is not a thing that's reliable or you know, is that something we have to be concerned about? Yeah, I think just speaking from my generation, I know we've grown up with the laptops and the phones in our hands. And I think we've seen from like apps like Instagram and Twitter that not everything on the internet is true. And living and having that as part of our lives, I think a kid is more easily um, able to sense false information than an adult. Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe this problem that we're dealing with with vaccine hesitancy is going to solve itself <laughs> if we just wait long enough. But I think that what you're saying is, you know, that also fits with a lot of the research that shows that kind of vaccine decisions are made, um, even when they're made by adults, they're made at younger and younger ages. They're made uh, some. Uh, parents or expecting parents have already decided uh, before maybe they've even become pregnant and whatnot. So I think that's very, very uh, insightful to be reaching out to youth. Uh, and I'm hopeful that you and others like you are going to be a part of that so that we can continue to keep these good messages going forward. Um, and thank you again for all that you've done uh, in that regard so far. So what other, do you have any plans going forward now? You've got, a, in terms of related to vaccines, you've got a book, you've got uh, kind of some outreach that you do. Um, you're going to kind of just continue this or do you have other ideas that you want to mention? Yeah, I don't have any ideas of now. I, I still see myself in the future as being an advocate. Um, I just need to find that next issue, I guess. But through this book, I've actually had a tremendous amount of um, direction into what I want to be an advocate about. That's, that is wonderful. You know, the other thing I'm wondering about is that I know there are a number of kids your age who, like you, are becoming concerned about disease outbreaks. They, they see that these diseases that their parents never saw are kind of trying to make entry back into the United States and to Canada and places like that. Um, but not every kid is up for writing a children's book, and it's probably not, you know terribly reasonable to expect every kid to write a children's book (laughs) so what are some really easy things you think your average 13 to you know 17 and beyond year old what can they do 
Yeah, if they're concerned, they can do the smallest of things. They can talk to their friends. They can ask an adult. It doesn't have to be a big action like writing a book to start learning. The internet, although has misinformation, can be a great tool to learn as well. Do you have any favorite places to go to find out more information about vaccines? Uh, well, just like podcasts like Voices for Vaccines is also a great <laughs> way to start. So if you're listening to this, good job. So I'm wondering what kinds of how vaccines are handled in schools these days, what your experiences have been with learning about vaccines or vaccine preventable diseases in schools, if you have at all, um, and what you think might need to change about that. Yeah, so I know in California, they made it, um, there's a proposition where you have to be vaccinated in order to go to public school. And as going to public school, I think I've seen that. I went to an elementary school where it was only 80% vaccinated. So just from there, I can see that although the public school is in the right direction, I don't see them having enough impact, especially with terms like herd immunity, which are so vital in learning. Mm-hmm. That I've never seen herd immunity in a science textbook, at least in my, in my district. Hmm. So you feel like in general, disease and disease prevention could be more included in the curriculum in schools. Definitely. Right? Yeah. I think one start... If, if I may be so bold, would be to encourage grade school libraries to have your book. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I, I think that more books about vaccines, the better. I know that grade school libraries are always thrilled to get uh, donations of books, just for all of our listeners out there who are, you know, wondering how to support you and the kids around you. That that's, that's a great thing to do. And that might be a campaign we want to look at in the future is, you know, encouraging people to donate your book and other vaccine books for kids to their local grade school uh, libraries. Yeah, definitely. That's a great place where they could be. Before we go, Ethan, I just want to ask you, what do you want other kids to know about vaccines and vaccine advocacy? Just from vaccines that getting a shot doesn't just affect you, although it's a big part of it. It also affects the people in your community and getting a shot protects those who can't. So becoming a part of the herd is so important. Yeah. And you have a hashtag about that too, don't you? Uh, Yeah. So it's hashtag I am the herd. It's uh, basically a story of people getting their shots, showing that they are a part of the herd, that they are in the right direction. Absolutely. So where can people find your book and your sister's movie and you on social media if they need to? All right, so to find the book, you can either go on Amazon by looking up the Shots book, A Little Brother Superhero Tale. Uh, to find another way, you could go to theshotsbook.com. We sell books there for 30% discount, along with uh, stickers that say Immunize and School Ready and uh, Fight Flu for free. And for Twitter, uh, my, ha- my Twitter handle is uh, at IamTheHerd. Yes. So if you have anything great to say about young people and advocacy, make sure to (laughs) tag Ethan on Twitter. I know that he really would love to hear from you. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Ethan. It was such a pleasure to talk to you tonight or today. This was such a nice experience. This is my uh, first podcast. Oh, well, I hope it's not your last. Everyone (laughs) needs to scoop you up. 
Um, thank you also for joining us, those of you who are listening. We always love having you too. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I am Nathan Boonstra. You can find me online. My handle is at PedsGeekMD on Twitter, or find me on my blog, PedsGeekMD.com. All right. Stay healthy, everyone. Bye-bye.